0: Hello, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 200.
1: 200?
0: Yes, 200. Are you kidding me? Not at all. Believe it or not, 200 episodes, five years, and countless milk and beard jokes. (laughs) Nonetheless, I remain your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me, inexplicably, once again, is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Michaud.
1: It's a real pleasure to be here, Chris.
0: And here on this landmark 200th episode, we are here to once again talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. It's funny, normally this is the busiest time of year with E3 going on, but sadly, this year that is not the case. Nonetheless, we do have some interesting announcements to discuss, as well as this week's big topic, which is our favorite video game endings.
1: And also, a whole lot of milk. (laughs)
0: Indeed. Indeed. However, before we get to that, we have a few brief game impressions, starting with a recent indie release on Switch, Summer in Mara. Now, Summer in Mara is a game that came to life on Kickstarter from Spanish indie studio Chibig, and it promised to be a relaxing adventure that was a cross between Harvest Moon and The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. And by that, I mean it has farming, gathering resources... Mining, cooking, crafting, and a whole lot of ocean travel as you take the main character, a young girl named Koa, on a journey to explore numerous islands spread out across the sea. And it does indeed do all that in a rather charming package with whimsical characters and cartoony graphics, but it is somewhat rough around the edges. During the early goings of the game, I experienced a lot of jankiness, I had camera problems and frame rate issues, a weird bug where I was swimming, and then a dialogue box popped up, and while I was reading it, Koa swam off into the ocean and basically drowned. <laughs> and then at another point, she just teleported from one spot on her island home to a spot in the middle of the sea.
1: Yeah, that's not what you want to hear.
0: The in-game map is also fairly useless, since it doesn't show your position on it at all, and the locations it shows for NPCs are sometimes just totally incorrect. On top of that, after the initial tutorial that explains the most basic things like how to raise crops and chop down trees and the fundamentals of crafting, the game sort of ignores a lot. Like, after the prologue tutorial and this gorgeous anime-style cinematic cutscene, you're then thrown into the game proper when you suddenly have a stamina meter and a hunger meter, and the game doesn't really explain how these work, or if they even exist until they're depleted, and by then, Co is just passing out over and over again. The game has a semi-real-time day-night cycle, sort of like the Legend of Zelda games, and the game also never explains that once midnight hits, your stamina just drains super rapidly, and you'll basically just pass out immediately on the spot unless you have a huge stash of supplies on you. Now, once you get this all figured out, the game becomes a lot more fun, and pretty soon you're able to fix your boat, leave your island, and you set out on your real adventure. And pretty soon you reach this large, heavily populated island full of NPCs, and as you talk with these characters, they give you new quests, which in turn gives you more rewards, which then gives you more tools that allows you to improve your farming and mining and crafting capabilities. That's also when you get access to the world map and you really get to head out on your journey of exploration. Even then, though, there are issues. So far, I've put in maybe six or eight hours into the game, and it is pretty tight with resources. I'm constantly running low on fuel and stamina and money. So now I have all these quests to complete and things to buy and crops to grow, but earning cash to actually buy seeds or materials to accomplish these goals is definitely on the slow side. The lack of money really got to me when I had to go on my first diving mission, which requires an item for each attempt, but the game doesn't explain the controls at all, so I kept drowning because I didn't know how to come back up for air. (laughs) Tip from the pros, you come up automatically if you don't touch any buttons for a second or two. Another problem is that you can only craft and cook and grow crops on your home island, so almost every time you get a quest, it means getting on your boat and sailing back home, then crafting or growing something, then sailing back. Plus, you can't tell what you need for a crafting recipe unless you're actually at the crafting table, so if you're out gathering materials on faraway islands, you would better hope you don't forget what you need. In a word, I would say that a lot of things about Summer in Mara are tedious, which just isn't good for a game that's meant to be relaxing. There are a lot of great ideas here, I like all the quests, the world is interesting, the characters are intriguing, but it just feels like this game needed another several months of polish before it was ready for release. Personally, I think I'm probably just going to stick to Animal Crossing New Horizons for my relaxation quota, at least until the new Story of Seasons game comes out next month.
1: Well that's a bummer.
0: Yeah, it is. I really bought into the hype for this one, but so far it hasn't delivered. Maybe it gets better, or maybe it'll get an update, but so far it's just not quite what I bargained for. In addition to that, though, another new release I've been playing is Jump Rope Challenge. Which, if you haven't heard of this one, is this silly, free little physical activity app for Switch released by Nintendo. It was apparently made by a couple of NCL employees while they were working for home over the last couple of months. And it basically, you just hold the Joy-Cons in your hands and make a jump rope motion, and it counts the number of jumps. That is pretty much all there is to it. There's a cute bunny avatar, and you can change its outfits. Plus, you can adjust your daily goal between 100 and 900 jumps. It's kind of endearing for what it is, and unlike something like Ring Fit Adventure, it's just a tiny little demo that doesn't require you to have any other hardware or to swap in the cart every time you want to play. So it's very accessible for encouraging some daily activity. Or maybe it's just a warm-up for Ring Fit Adventure. Anyway, obviously, this is not a traditional game, but it is free. It's only available for a limited time, apparently, until September. So while it's certainly not great or anything, if you are curious, I do recommend you check it out while you can. Oh, nice. Then there's one other title I've been playing, and that is Arcade Archives Sunset Riders. This is a true classic from Konami, finally getting an essentially arcade-perfect home port after nearly 30 years. Basically, it is Cowboy Contra, eight stages of side scrolling 'em up action, but a bit slower-paced and with an Old West theme. You fight your way through towns and hillsides and atop trains, you avoid stampedes, you chase bad guys on horseback, and it all culminates at the expansive via of the most-wanted man in the West, Sir Richard Rose. The game offers gimmicks like barrels and boulders you can drop on enemies, as well as saloons you can enter to acquire power-ups and get bonus points. And this Arcade Archives edition offers four different versions of the game, both the US version and the Japanese version, in both two-player and four-player modes. Another thing that playing this game made me recognize is just how good the Super NES version of Sunset Riders really is. I mean... That game included almost everything from the arcade version, but there were still lots of little details that didn't make it in that are in this version, such as breaking a celebratory bottle of um, milk over your head (laughs) when you go into a saloon, bad guys sort of humorously accidentally setting themselves on fire, pitchforks you can trip yourself up on, the ability to climb ladders, and gatling gun emplacements that you can utilize against your enemy and against the environment. It also has some enemies that are left out of the Super NES version, including the Native American enemies and the female combatants. Strangely, the sixth boss in this game still has his name from the Super NES version of the game, not his name from the arcade game, which is uh, just a little weird, but you know, not really a problem. This game was a quarter matcher back in the day, but this version certainly makes up for that by letting you add as many credits as you want, so it is very easily beatable. However, you will definitely need some skill if you want to make it onto the leaderboard in high score mode or in caravan mode. I will say the one little downside of this is that there's no online gameplay and getting four players together to experience this game in all its intended multiplayer glory is pretty darn tough these days, but that aside, I cannot recommend this game highly enough, especially for only $8. bucks. is a ton of fun, even all this time later. Excellent! And that does it for our game impressions for this episode, so let's move along to some news! And this week in the news, Rodent Activity, The Kid Returns, and oh, snap! (laughs) So, first up, we have some exciting news from the Pokemon Company, specifically that new Pokemon Snap is coming to Switch. Yes, finally, the long-awaited sequel to Pokemon Snap from the N64 is finally going to be a thing. This is basically the Pokemon game for people who don't even like Pokemon. Instead of catching them all, you're exploring tropical islands and taking photos of as many Pokemon as you can find. In the jungle, on the seashore, in the savanna, out in the desert. Everything from Pikachu and Toys to Buffalant and Wailord. Just, you know, they're playing, they're eating, they're fighting, they're frolking, and you are going to take photographs of it all.
1: Well, that tickles my whiskers.
0: I gotta say... The title, New Pokemon Snap, is kind of dumb, and I also want to say it's kind of a crime that the sequel did not ever happen on Wii U or 3DS since I feel like dual screens with motion controls would have been perfect for this game. But hey, better late than never, I'm just super excited that this game is finally getting a long-awaited and much-needed sequel. I just think it would be super cool if they incorporate something like you know Labo VR compatibility.
1: Yeah, that's always a good move.
0: There is no release date yet, which tells me it is probably at least a year off, but regardless, I am definitely looking forward to it. Also coming out from the Pokémon Company was the announcement of Pokémon Café Mix for Switch. It is a Pokémon-themed puzzle game, obviously set at a café. As the owner of the café, you have to fill orders by swirling around all of these little Pokémon heads. (laughs) It kind of just looks like chaos to me, but... I guess there must be some sort of technique involved. I don't know. Anyway, after you stir up this pile of severed Pokemon heads, <laughs> it lets you create Pokemon food and drink, such as the hot Litwick Cocoa, Pikachu Curry, Dugtrio sandwiches, and Eevee pancakes and lattes. I am personally going to assume these are all foods actually made of Pokemon. <laughs> Anyway, as you play, you expand the cafe, you gain new recipes, you recruit Pokemon and use their special abilities to help you complete the puzzles. The game is going to be free to play, which always worries me a little bit, but I will certainly be glad to give it a shot when it comes out on Switch, which is supposed to be very soon. Another exciting Switch announcement comes from the folks at Square Enix who have revealed that Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory is on the way.
1: Oh, that's right in your wheelhouse.
0: Yeah, this is a Kingdom Hearts rhythm game coming to Switch as well as other platforms late this year. In this game, Sora, Donald, Goofy, and numerous Disney characters are sort of running down these long pathways in an assortment of Kingdom Hearts worlds, including ones based on movies like Aladdin or Hercules, and you press buttons to attack or jump over obstacles in sync with the music. Apparently, this game is going to have more than 140 songs, which just seems amazing, and there will even be boss battles thrown in. This sounds especially cool, particularly since I was really hoping for a theater rhythm Kingdom Hearts game back when that series was a thing on 3DS, so uh, I'm certainly going to welcome this into my library, although you could maybe say the downside is that Switch still hasn't received a real Kingdom Hearts game yet, but... Who knows? Maybe this is a sign that ports of Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 will come to Switch sooner or later. Because if Square Enix can do it for Final Fantasy 10 and 12, they sure as heck can do it for Kingdom Hearts. So I will keep crossing my fingers for that and playing Melody of Memory in the meantime. Nice. Then we can file this one under What the Heck? Apparently, there is a new Alex Kidd game on the way, although it's actually kind of an old Alex Kidd game. It is Alex Kidd in Miracle World DX from Merge Games. Following in the footsteps of games like Streets of Rage 4, Monster Boy the Dragon's Trap, and Panzer Dragoon Remake, Sega's failed mascot, the guy before Sonic, Alex Kidd is making a modern comeback with a remake of his original platforming adventure from the Sega Master System, Alex Kidd in Miracle World. However, this game is redesigned with HD graphics, including a much more appealing character design in my opinion. It also has some brand new levels, new modes such as a boss rush mode, some new boss battles where you actually fight the bosses instead of playing against them in a rock-paper-scissors style game. They're also promising tighter, more fluid controls, which I thought has always been the biggest flaw in the Alex Kidd series, so that's good to hear. And then you'll be able to switch between retro and modern graphics on the fly, as well as between original and remastered audio. It's kind of weird seeing this game come to Switch, since Sega Ages' Alex Kidd and Miracle World already exists, but whatever. I'm not super excited for this series, but... These Sega revivals have been pretty great so far, and I am more than willing to give it a chance. Moving along to something much more modern, the folks at EA held a video press conference recently where it was revealed that they have five unknown titles in development for Switch, along with one that is known, Apex Legends, which is going to arrive this fall. If you're not familiar with Apex Legends, it's a free-to-play first-person shooter multiplayer battle royale game along the lines of Fortnite and Overwatch, and while it isn't necessarily my cup of tea, the game has a substantial following, and I consider this to be a big win for Switch owners, especially since the game offers cross-play with PC and other consoles. On the other hand, An arena battle game that is much more in line with my interests is the newly announced Transformers Battlegrounds, which is coming to Switch from publisher Outright Games and developer Coatsync. They haven't revealed too much about this one yet, just that it will have both single-player and multiplayer modes, and that it's based on the recent Transformers Cyberverse incarnation of the robots in disguise. It features fairly classic representations of several of the most popular Transformers characters including Optimus Prime, Megatron, Bumblebee, Starscream, Shockwave, Soundwave, R.C., and Grimlock. The only environment shown so far is a city, but it still looks like the Autobots will wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons using both ranged and melee attacks. As a fan of Transformers, I'm pretty hopeful we will find out more when the game comes out this October. Stepping away from actual games and into licensed products for a second, the folks at LEGO have given an update on the LEGO Super Mario toys that are coming out later this summer. As we know, LEGO Super Mario is on the way, but it is not just traditional LEGO block toys. It's interactive, and instead of just constructing things, you're making these little stages for this Interactive Mario to jump through and jump on. It's not quite what I want out of Lego Mario, but nonetheless, there's a lot of stuff on the way, and people do seem excited about it. And then we found out that there are a whole bunch of additional expansion sets coming in the months ahead. First of all, we've got Mario's House and Yoshi, which sells for $30.00. This is a very thin version of Mario's house in a block built Yoshi, and it is by far my favorite set from these Lego Super Mario toys. There is a Thwomp Drop expansion set for $40, which, as you would expect, includes a thwomp that will uh, come down on Mario. There is Womp's Lava Trouble for $20, which includes a big womp enemy and some platforms over lava. There is Desert Pokey for $20, which Unsurprisingly, includes a big pokey, some cacti, and a very large hammer. There's the Guarded Fortress expansion set for $50, which is a fortress facade with a piranha plant and some grassy platforms. King Boo and the Haunted Yard for $50, which includes some creepy-looking buildings, as well as some Goombas, some bats, and a very large, blocky King Boo. And I would say this is my second favorite offering so far. There's Boomer Bill Barrage for $20, I guess a Boomer Bill is sort of like a Bullet Bill. He just sort of spins around via propeller or something. This set also includes a Shy Guy, so thanks, Boomer. <laughs> then there's Toad's Treasure Hunt for $70, which includes a few Mushroom House facades, Toad and Toadette, some cheap Cheeps, and a whole bunch of platforms. Also, there are a few very small Power Up sets that offer new costumes for Mario for 10 bucks each, There's a Propeller Mario, a Fire Mario, a Cat Mario, and a Builder Mario, all of which offer alternate costumes for the main Mario that you buy in the starter set. And then, last but not least, there are several enemy character packs, which are going to sell for $5 each and be randomly packed into bags. These include a Paragoomba, Spiny, Buzzy Beetle, Bullet Bill, Bob-omb, blooper, and more. These are actually pretty cool, despite the fact there's no blooper nanny. I would love to have the entire set. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm still not entirely sold on all this LEGO Super Mario stuff, but there are definitely a few things I am liking here. I can't say I like the price point either, which comes to $590 if you were to buy everything that's on offer so far. But either it's lucky for me or too bad for me that I already spent all my life savings on Amiibo! Amiibo! Finally, the last bit of news I wanted to bring up is a game called Curse of the Sea Rats, which is a side-scrolling, Metroid-style action-adventure currently on Kickstarter. I originally heard about this game more than a year ago, but now it has a very modest funding goal on Kickstarter that's already been met to finish off the game and possibly add new features. As you can possibly tell by the title, it is a pirate themed game, and it has multiple playable characters, each with unique skills. And it comes from Spanish developer Ptoons Studio, which previously made Ptoons Party for Switch, which I have to admit I have never played. Strangely, the game is described as having beautiful 2D hand drawn animation and 3D environments, combined with unique real time combat mechanics, and of course, lots of rats. <laughs> I did not realize that having lots of rats in a game was such a selling point for a lot of people, and I don't really know who the audience is for this game aside from me, but given that rats and capybars are close cousins, and the fact that I love a good Metroid-style game, I am totally going to check this one out. It is supposed to be released next year, but if you want to get in on the action early, the Kickstarter is running until July 3rd. And that takes care of our news for this episode, so why don't we answer a little bit of listener mail. This first letter comes from listener Matt W., who writes, Hey, Power Pros, I'm a listener since the beginning, but a first-time writer, and I wanted to say congratulations on reaching 200 episodes. This is an important number for me, as it was during issue 200 of Nintendo Power that I started with the magazine. I remember first really getting to know the two of you when you faced off Snake vs. Pit as the best newcomer to Super Smash Brothers Brawl. I'm really happy that you guys are still providing power to the players today, and on behalf of the fans, thank you. Thank you for the kind words, Matt. That Snake vs. Pit article certainly takes us back for sure. And uh, we are glad we've been able to provide some entertainment, even post-Nintendo Power Magazine. Yeah, totally. Our next letter comes from listener Joey T., who writes... I want to thank every Power Pros host to rock the mic, from Chris Slate to Too Hot Scott Michella, to Pete Are We Sure He's Not Slippy in a Beard Michaud, and the host who has been on all 200 episodes, Chris the Hoff Hoffman. You guys are the reason I come back every week since I started episode four. This is one of my favorite podcasts in the world, and it means a lot to actually be checking in for five years now. Here's to 200 more and a video game based off the podcast. Hey, remember when you read and acted my story? I absolutely loved it, and still listen to it sometimes to get a chuckle. Power to the pros. Joey, you are definitely very welcome. Thanks so much for listening and sticking with us. When that video game deal comes through, we'll be sure to incorporate some of your fanfic into the plot. And then our last letter for this episode comes from a Caddy News podcast host Ben, who writes, Dear Power Pros, for your next Hassle the Hoff, I have got a recommendation for a question. If you were a Smash character, what would your move list and final Smash be? Loving the show. Now, I don't know if we can promise a Hassle the Hoff, but I would be glad to answer your question. My neutral special would be, Hurling a giant pie at opponents, after which it would break into pieces and you could eat the slices to restore your health. My side special would be to ride a rampaging capybara across the screen. (laughs) My down special would be to lie down and take a nap. I have no idea what that would do, but that's what I would do. And my up special would be to fire a rocket that launches people into space. For my final smash, I would summon a giant Mr. T who would pity fools into oblivion. Excellent question, Ben. Thank you very much. That's all we've got for letters to this episode. So it's time for us to close up the mailbag and then take an intermission. And then we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is uh, our...
1: It might be episode 200, but I'm not letting you get away with anything.
0: Whoa, Pete, you've been so quiet, I almost forgot you were there.
1: It wouldn't be episode 200 unless I could hassle the huff.
0: Ah, of course. Well... Why don't we just get this over with? What do you got for me this week?
1: Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman? Yes? Pretend it's the year 2030. Okay. What has Nintendo done in the last 10 years? Tell me about
0: it. Huh. So you're having me prognosticate the future, huh? (laughs) What has Nintendo been up to between the years 2020 and 2030?
1: That is correct.
0: That is a tough challenge, Pete. Mm, Well, let's see here. I'm going to say that they went on and made a successor to Switch. Switch 2 that basically kept the same form factor and uh, a lot of the same ideas going. But then, for their next system, they decided to try something wonky and more radical. What exactly would that be? I'm not sure. I think that Nintendo will finally decide to embrace VR wholeheartedly after they of putting it to the back burner for a long time. I think that around this time, I'll be watching people online playing uh, competitively in Splatoon 4 or Splatoon 5.
1: (laughs) I would say you're probably right on the money on that.
0: I think I will be celebrating the five-year anniversary of Mother 3 finally coming to North America. <laughs> it's released on the Switch 2.
1: All right, all right. I like what you're selling.
0: I think that popular franchises like Mario and The Legend of Zelda will still be going strong. I think that Nintendo will pretend that Metroid and Kid Icarus never even existed.
1: <laughs> How dare you.
0: Super Smash Universe, a massively multiplayer RPG, will be one of the most popular games of the decade, and it will include every single character to ever appear on Nintendo hardware, and there will be Amiibo for all of them. Except for Waluigi. <laughs> Animal Crossing will continue to be a big hit, but they will only release one iteration per console.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And of course, in addition to Nintendo's main system, I will also have been spending a lot of time enjoying my N64 and GameCube Classic Edition.
1: Ah, yes. All right. I can get on board with that.
0: And, tragically, the My Nintendo Rewards program
1: will still suck. <laughs> you can't say that, come on
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, at least it gives us discounts on digital games but other than that, oh man, nothing blows
1: <laughs> Well, I can't argue with you there
0: Anyway, I guess that's all I've got Does that satisfy you?
1: Yeah, although I am disappointed you didn't mention a uh, new Pro Wrestling or, uh, you know, uh, F-Zero
0: Oh, don't worry. Super Pro Wrestling 2 is going to be the biggest selling game of 2027.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm going to look forward to that. Yes, please do.
0: All right, then. Now that that's been taken care of, we will definitely take our intermission. And then when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite video game endings. Alright, we are back and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite video game endings. More specifically, it is our list of our top 10 favorite video game endings. I mean, Pete, what's better than a great video game? I would say it is a great video game topped off with a fantastic ending.
1: It's true. You almost can't really have a great video game unless there is some sort of great ending. Like, You want it to be compelling. You want there to be a reason you played all the way through and beat it.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think as we go down this list, it's actually going to be games that we end up talking about on this show a lot because, you know, part of the things that make these games so good is the fact that the endings are some of the best ever made.
1: You're talking about Mega Man's soccer.
0: Oh, well, that would be spoiling the list, wouldn't it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just think that that great ending is part of that total package that makes a truly amazing game truly amazing. <laughs> so apologize if these are some topics we brought up before. Also, as you might expect, there will definitely be some major spoilers here.
1: Yeah, I mean, most of these games are pretty old, but if you're worried about getting spoiled on anything, if you hear the name, just, you know, mute it and skip forward. <laughs> minute and a half or something
0: yes a wise plan anyway i say that uh, it's time to get into this list starting with number 10 which is metal gear solid snake eater 3d
1: yeah i mean it's almost hard to remember that metal gear solid 3 was even on a nintendo console but it certainly was
0: also notable for the fact that there's actually a copy of nintendo power that you can find in the game itself (laughs)
1: yeah pretty crazy and it is a fantastic game even on the uh, 3ds yeah
0: it's one of my favorites actually but yeah the ending it is just a total roller coaster you know after this epic adventure this truly intense boss fight this breathtaking escape on a plane from the soviet union you are then treated to this very cinematic ending it has romance it has betrayal And the twists and turns just keep coming with all these revelations about all the events that you've just played through. And, you know, in the end, Snake is honored by the government for all that he's done, but you're still left with all of these doubts. And you can really understand how he underwent this transformation from being a hero to becoming Big Boss, the insurgent, after he was pretty much stabbed in the back by everybody he believed in. Of course, it doesn't hurt that the production values are through the roof, and it looks and sounds absolutely amazing on the 3DS.
1: You know, I think that sometimes people make fun of the Metal Gear Solid endings because they're just so over the top, and, like, you know, it just keeps changing, it just keeps flip flopping, and <laughs> there's just a lot of, like, whoa moments in yeah, it. Yeah,
0: they are convoluted and complex, that's true. <laughs>
1: But no, I think Metal Gear Solid 3 especially has a fantastic ending.
0: Yep, I couldn't agree with you more. Next on the list, at number nine, we have Super Mario Bros. 2. This one, of course, is a total classic. You know, normally I'm not really a fan of it-was-just-a-dream types of endings, (laughs) but Super Mario Bros. 2 totally does it right. You know, that full-screen image of Mario snoozing in bed was just astonishing for an 8-bit game. And then that little trip down memory lane with all the enemies you encounter is also really fun. Plus, it's accompanied by some really, really excellent music.
1: Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, if you compare it to the other games of its time, it definitely was the first that I can remember that just kind of was like a full screen takeover. You see this larger than life version of Mario breathing as he's sleeping.
0: Yep, just snoozing away.
1: And yeah, and then it kind of gave explanation to the whole idea of subcon.
0: Yeah, and I can't believe it took me, you know, like, 20-something years to figure out, oh, it means subconscious. (laughs) Who knew?
1: Yeah, it certainly did.
0: Not me until about, you know, six months ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like Inception.
0: On to number eight, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Throughout all of this game, the situation that Rex and his allies are up against just seems totally dire. Like, the world constantly seems to be on the brink of collapse, war is breaking out, The bad guys constantly have the upper hand, and then when you reach your goal, when you finally get to this place known as Elysium, it's not the paradise you suspected, but it's in ruins. And then when you beat the final boss, the whole place is like shaking apart, it's going to be destroyed, and it seems like at least one of your party members that you've come to know and love is not going to make it out. But then... In the end, not only does everybody survive, but it ends up that they are actually able to reach a paradise. They get to this new world full of untapped promise, and all of the hardship you have gone through does indeed pay off. And it just really feels like it makes the whole hundred hour plus quest really seem worthwhile.
1: Well, you just spoiled it for me, but I'm going to have to play through it and see it myself.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Number seven, Final Fantasy VI. The Final Fantasy series pretty much constantly delivers some of the best endings out there. Final Fantasy VI is, uh, appropriately, fantastic. As the heroes are escaping Kefka's collapsing tower, and you get to see the culmination of all the relationships you've witnessed during this epic game. You know Every character gets their own little heroic moment, they all get their chance to shine, and then that's topped off with some major drama and excitement about whether or not Terra is going to be able to survive in this new world without magic. It's also a really lengthy ending and has some amazing music. So it's just a great exclamation point on what's already an amazing adventure.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the midway section, when you start off as Celis, it really kind of feels like Avengers Endgame. and <laughs> not saying that that's <laughs> the entire ending, but you know, the game really does wrap up just super nicely and has one of the best endings that I can think of.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you know, While I'm talking about Final Fantasy, I should also give a shout out to Final Fantasy VIII and IX. I mean, I know those games originally came out years and years ago, but they just came to Nintendo Systems fairly recently. VIII just has this very extensive, satisfying CG ending that was absolutely mind-blowing for something made in the late 90s. And IX is similarly beautiful, but also has this whole twist where you don't know whether or not the main protagonist survived the final battle, and the reveal on that is just completely heartwarming.
1: Yeah, definite classics.
0: Also, requisite joke about you erasing my save file. <laughs> At number six, we have Metroid, the original for the NES. Obviously, this one is another all-time classic. You know, it has just a great endgame overall. You defeat the mother brain. You try to escape before the time limit expires. Of course, Samus leaves destruction in her wake. But, you know, it's what happens after that that was truly shocking and it just blew all of our minds when we first completed the game on the NES way back in the day. And, of course, that is when you finally see Samus take off her helmet or take off her suit. And you discover, oh my gosh, it's a woman.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to forget that now. But at the time, that was definitely like groundbreaking material for as far as video games go. Everyone now thinks of Samus as Zero Suit Samus, and it's very obvious that she's a woman. But at the time, that was pretty cutting-edge stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the time, no one saw it coming. If you read anything about the game, if you look at the manual, it kind of implies that Samus is a dude. So, yeah, it was just this great little twist that made for a very, very memorable ending. Yeah, absolutely. Next, at number five, Klonoa for the Wii. Klonoa is just a fantastic platformer that really doesn't get enough attention at all. It has wonderful play mechanics, fun character designs, and it looks spectacular. It also has a completely heart-wrenching but excellent ending. You know, you go on this whole adventure with Klonoa. He saves the world. He's hanging out with his friends, celebrating his victory. And then, just when everything seems to be going great, he's told... He does not exist. He's just, you know, a dream or he's imaginary. He doesn't belong there or something. And just like that, he is ripped away from this peaceful existence, torn away from his friend and sent off to who knows where. Obviously, he does come back in sequels. But man, that is like a really heavy ending. And it just absolutely sticks with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly not what you'd expect from a game like Clonella.
0: Indeed. Number four, The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker. So, first of all, let me just say, ouch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, considering that this is such a cute game, such a cute entry in the Zelda franchise, it is just shocking that the game's ending basically starts with Link stabbing his sword right into Ganondorf's head. (laughs) I mean, it is just, you know... Shocking and surprising right off the bat is a true shocker indeed, you might even say.
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, of all the Zelda games, you would not expect The Wind Waker to be the one that is the most, like, I guess, graphic?
0: (laughs) Yeah, brutal. Uh
1: Yeah, it really is. There's something about it. And especially in that presentation style, it makes it all the more impactful.
0: Yeah, yeah. But on top of that, it's also kind of an unusual and sort of somber ending in that you know the king of Hyrule has used the Triforce basically to ensure that old Hyrule stays washed away. You know, Ganon was trying to use it to restore Hyrule to its former glory. And you know, even to this day, I am not sure that Ganon was wrong here. <laughs> so it's an ending that you know, it really always makes me think personally. You know, after the credits roll, of course, you know you get the final scene with Link setting off for adventure along with Tetra. And as they you know, head out, they're going to forge their own destinies and establish a new land of Hyrule. But it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, could the king have done something different? Could he have made a different wish that made things turn out a better way? I don't know. But it's, again, one that, you know, I just always continue to think about.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. The king looking a little like Thanos in this situation.
0: <laughs> yep. Wash it all away. It's no good. Gotta start over. (laughs) Moving on to number three, Chrono Trigger, another one of my personal favorites. The regular ending to Chrono Trigger is just fun, it's brilliantly paced, and it hits all the right emotional notes. Lavos is gone, all the main characters have come back to the present, and the Millennial Fair puts this nice little bow on everything with a beautiful light parade. You know, it's very celebratory. And then right after that, it moves on to this part where everybody's going their separate ways, back to their own time periods, and it's really touching and kind of sad. And then, you know, it changes gears again, you know, before it gets too heavy, we have the heroes, you know, sitting off for adventure again after Chrono's mom gets sucked into a time warp while chasing down the cat, you know?
1: <laughs> Who can forget that?
0: And then that fantastic ending theme kicks in, and uh, yeah, it's just, you know, all... Uh, Fun and there, and you're like, oh yeah, that was such a great adventure. But what makes it even better than that is that there are several variations on the ending depending on which characters you have and how you ended up beating Lavos or if you recruited Magis or not, you know, and that is really darn cool. And then even on top of that. There are like 13 bonus endings you can get in new game plus mode, which are all just wacky or strange or interesting. And that all depends on which point in the story you actually beat Lavos in this new mode. So it's just great stuff all the way around.
1: Yeah, pretty crazy with a game this old to uh, have so many endings and so many unique endings. I don't know. You just don't see a lot of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as the number and quality of endings goes... You know, I don't think it's ever really been surpassed by any modern game. I mean, obviously fighting games have lots of endings and stuff like that. But, you know, as far as like a single player RPG goes, yeah, I think it is still unmatched even 25 years later.
1: Yeah, certainly you don't see that from an RPG.
0: Next, at number two, Professor Layton and the Unwound Future. One of the clever things about the Professor Layton series is that every game basically sets up a big mystery, and then by the end, the truth of that mystery is revealed. Okay, so, you know, big spoiler here, in Professor Layton and the Unwound Future, the mystery is about how they have seemingly traveled through time, and then the truth is revealed that, oh, you know, they did not actually travel through time. It was all (laughs) sort of a trick. But then you get what's the really cool twist, which is that, Professor Layton's old flame you learn actually did evidently travel through time and she was like secretly helping Layton and his allies during this adventure and then like just as you come to that realization she just kind of flickers out of existence and so not only is it all shown through some beautiful animation but it is also just like totally heartbreaking and you can just feel the emotion behind Professor Layton's little beady eyes (laughs) and even, you know, a stodgy intellectual like him gets all emotional and, you know, he sort of forgoes the gentleman thing. He takes off his hat for the first time in the series. And, you know, you can just feel the impact of this. And I'm getting a little misty eye just talking about it, Not going to lie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you could make an argument that all the Professor Layton games have an interesting ending.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: But Unwound Future, for sure, is one that leaves a lasting impression.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. And speaking of lasting impressions, that brings us to our number one all-time favorite video game ending, and that is The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. This ending, it's just kind of warm and happy, and goes into a lot of detail without ever getting bogged down in the minutia. A lot of bad stuff happens during this adventure when you think about it. You know, Link's uncle dies right at the beginning, the king has evidently been murdered, And of course, you know, who can ever forget, you know, Flute Boy, like tragically turning into a tree right before your eyes, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I mean, the subject matter is definitely sort of dark and or strange.
0: Yeah, but, you know, then at the end of the game, Link gets the power of the Triforce. And, you know, as the game says, he touches it with a wish from his heart. And apparently he made a lot of wishes that just, you know, made everything all better again. The king is back. Your uncle is alive. Flute Boy is back doing his thing. (laughs) The bully in the dark world stops being a jerk and makes a friend. The Zoras apparently open up flippers for sale for everybody. It's just really nice to see everything resolved in such a satisfying way. And then on top of that, the music is just absolutely beautiful.
1: I'm going to start calling you Flute Boy. (laughs) Feel free. (laughs) No, this is a classic you know, and I'm, I love ending on a happy ending. I really can't think of one that just kind of is more heartwarming and just like, oh, that, that's like how a game should end. Like everybody's happy yep, and, yep. you know, dancing and, <laughs> and happy music plays.
0: Yeah, I don't know if there's any actual dancing in this one, but yeah, I completely agree. It's just really nice to see everything wrapped up and addressed in such a pleasant fashion.
1: And of course, the Master Sword sleeps again. Forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, or does it? Ah. Since it actually comes back in the direct sequel, a Link Between Worlds, I guess that part isn't entirely true. Anyway, on that note, that brings our list of favorite video game endings to a close. And speaking of endings, Pete, there's something I need to tell you. Um, yes, Chris? This is actually our last episode. What? Yeah, it turns out we've been canceled. <laughs> our ratings, they, they just weren't high enough, you know?
1: <laughs> Who do we get canceled by?
0: You know, the ratings people.
1: <laughs> oh, right. The podcast ratings people.
0: Yep. Podcast Ratings Association. Uh, no, I am kidding about the Podcast Ratings Association, of course, but I am not kidding about this being possibly our final episode. We are going on Hiatus. Pete has a new job, and he is not able to continue as co-host, and I am super busy with my day job as well. So, yeah, we are going to be uh, taking a break from Power Pros. You know, this doesn't necessarily mean that Power Pros is going away for good, so please don't unsubscribe if you enjoy the show. You know, we might be back on a whim for a bonus episode once in a while. <laughs> Maybe we'll be back in some other form. Who knows? But uh, yes, I regret to say that uh, we are not going to be producing Power Pros on a regular basis, at least for the time being.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope that this isn't the last time you hear from Chris Hoffman or uh, myself. You know, stay tuned. You know, the future definitely looks bright for Nintendo, even brighter than I can even imagine.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes it does. And you know, Pete, even though this is our final episode before the hiatus... And we need to wrap things up here. We do have time for one more thing. And that is a dramatic reading.
1: Ah, I was hoping so.
0: This time, it is from the description of Power Pro's podcast from TVTropes.org. <laughs> what happens when the former staff of Nintendo Power keep going long after the magazine's end? You get the Nintendo Power Podcast, or you get Power Pros, unofficial podcast where Nintendo staff, past and present, talk news, play games, and drink a whole lot of milk. (laughs) First started in 2015 by ex-Nintendo Power editor Chris Hoffman and former editor-in-chief Chris Slate, in 2016, Slate was launched into space and replaced by a group of rotating co-hosts. Beginning in April 2017, and continuing to the present, this is most commonly Hoffman's arch-enemy, Pete Mashad. The regular format of the show begins with a breakdown of the current news in the world of Nintendo, followed by impressions on recent releases, a musical intermission, and then the week's special topic, before ending on a dramatic reading. More recently, the show has brought back the Don't Hassle the Hoff column from Nintendo Power Magazine, with Pete hassling the Hoff with a sadistic choice (laughs) over something video game related. (laughs) Whoa, that was kind of meta, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, especially when you were talking about dramatic
0: reading. I know, it was a dramatic reading about dramatic readings. Crazy.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised the universe didn't blow up. (laughs)
0: And you know, I didn't write this or anything. I don't know who wrote this Wikipedia-style description for TV Tropes, but our hats are most definitely off to you. In fact, our beards are off to you as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you want to read this whole dang page itself, go to uh, TVTropes.org, or you can search TVTropes.org power prose and you might find it pretty easily. I found it pretty easily. Yeah, the whole page, I was shocked to see the level of information here
0: yeah there is indeed quite a bit
1: i mean you got hoff's love of capybaras you've got our both of our loves for milk our pro wrestling our jokes baby game for babies i don't know chris's weird affinity for chicken games
0: your affinity for chicken (laughs) games.
1: his amiibo collection even you know who produced the chiptune piece for the intro yeah hats off honestly and, and beards off
0: indeed we are most impressed
1: well, Hoff, I'm gonna miss you, buddy.
0: <laughs> well, I wish I could say the same, but thank you very much nonetheless.
1: Well, then maybe you won't send me off into space?
0: Oh, don't be so sure about that.
1: Hmm. <laughs> well, I was wondering why I was sitting in this funny-looking chair.
0: Yeah, when you're done, just push the flashing red button to your left.
1: <laughs> Alright, right, will do. Do I need this harness on?
0: Uh, yeah, buckle up.
1: It's for safety, right?
0: Yeah, but don't be too worried. <laughs>
1: And Hoff, you know, I, it has been real. I know you're my nemesis. It's a little weird just thanking you in general. But, you know, thanks for giving me a shot. And I had a lot of fun doing this with you. I'm going to miss talking to you every week.
0: Yeah, I could around, of course. But it was great having you on here. I appreciate you being my co-host and giving me the chance to virtually stroke your beard week in and week out.
1: <laughs> I am going to miss disappointing you in some capacity every week. <laughs>
0: That's really the true tragedy of this show coming to an end. <laughs> anyway, yes, regrettably, this brings our time together on this podcast to a close. You know, as we wrap up the show for the time being, I would like to give my thanks to everyone involved with it. You know, big thanks to our former Nintendo Power co-worker, Andy Myers, for the theme song. Big thanks to my former co-hosts on the show, Chris Slate, Scott Michella. Thank you to uh, guest hosts like Cody Martin, Chris Johnston, Ethan Einhorn, Anne-Marie Privetier, and David Oxford, and anyone else I accidentally forgot. Also, just a huge thank you to everybody else who uh, we worked with at Nintendo Power and everybody who has ever listened in.
1: Yeah, especially those that wrote in, too. Uh, You know, we appreciated reading those letters every week.
0: Yeah, definitely very true. Anyway, this is it for Power Pros, at least for now. Regardless, you can still reach us at powerprospod at gmail.com if you have any more comments. And Pete and I will still be around on Twitter at, at Chris the Hoff and at Burly Red Yeti. As always, thank you so much for listening. For myself, Pete Mashad, I'm in Spain! And our one up girl, Pauline. Bye bye. Keep on playing with power.